Welcome to the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you haven't joined us before, we're passionate about all things internal medicine and helping you become the best tech you can be. We'll be discussing interesting internal medicine diseases, how to work closely with pet parents, and how to become the go-to tech in your practice. Now, let's start the show. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. Thank you so much for making a commitment to learning and hope everybody is doing well. I'm your host, Jordan Porter, and I'm joined by the amazing Yvonne Brandenburg. I kept it <laughs> Hi, short this week. girl. I know. I was like, all right, where's she going with it? <laughs> <laughs> Hello. Hi. Uh, oh. Happy day after 4th of July, because that's when we're recording this. So <laughs> just in time for it to come out tomorrow. Yeah, that's yeah, fine. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't procrastinate at all this long weekend. Uh, well, I mean, it was a busy weekend. There was 4th of July was. stuff yesterday. And... and I ended up working even though I wasn't supposed to. Because I worked overnight. Well, I worked. So here's how stupid this was. And my boss was like, I don't like this idea. And I was like, well, too bad. That's all you got right now. <laughs> so, I worked... <laughs> so I worked Thursday from 8 a.m. to like 2.30. Went home, which is a 45-minute drive came back at 6 p.m. So I got home at like three. I slept for 20 minutes, maybe, and then left my house again at 4.15 or 5.15 just to be back at work at six. And I worked 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. or 6 p.m. to 8 a.m., which is a 14 hour shift. And my boss hates those. He's like, no, absolutely not. And I was like, well, everybody else has plans. Like, I don't want to force somebody to cancel their plans to come into work because we have one cat who needs like hospitalized. You crazy. I know it was really, really stupid. And I was really, really tired. Um, and then I went back into work again on Friday after all that too, because like nobody, it was one of those things where my boss was like, nobody has to, but if you'd like to come in and help. And oh I, my God. <laughs> I know. So I felt bad, <sighs> but then he felt bad too. Cause it was cats. And he's like, I really don't want you dying. And I was like, I really don't want to die either, but I'm here to help you out. So <laughs> like, Oh, uh... Oh my God. You with your stupid cat allergy. It's really getting to be a problem. I mean, like it's been a problem, but like it's getting under my skin now. Like I'm starting Aww. to get aggravated by it. Oh, I'm sorry. Cause I want to love on the sick kitties. Yeah. And make them feel comforted. And I can't because I tried to die two Fridays ago. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> yes. <sighs> Fun times. Anyway, I would be so incredibly sad if I was allergic to dogs and cats. I'd be even more incredibly sad if I was allergic to dogs. Oh my God. <laughs> You'd be in so much trouble. <laughs> like, what would I, I, what would I do? Like, you'd have be fish. Dead. You'd have fish. Nobody wants fish. I mean, like I had a couple fish and they lived a long time. Or I could be a crazy bird lady, I guess. Ugh. awkward silence <laughs> <laughs> no one can see the look on my face <laughs> i've I mean, had a bird before cool, too but like if that's all you have i mean it's just not the same no my plan is to move into like farm animals i'm gonna get myself a couple goats and some chickens and a donkey um what if you're allergic to all them too that's true i guess they didn't test me for that i know i'm allergic to rabbits so i can't do rabbits oh my god but they didn't test me for any of those. I don't think so. I didn't have, well, I guess I didn't have a problem in tech school either because I wasn't allergic to cats then. Um, 
Nah, I'll be fine. Oh my God. Anyway, is your week okay? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's going well. Um, there's, there's, there's some changes afoot. Um, I don't want to say anything yet because it's, uh, it's still in the pros and cons phase of my life. Um, yeah. so I've just got some, I got some choices, I got some choices I gotta figure out. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Nothing like changes to really make your mental health feel super stable. Well, and it's not even, uh, I, I, yeah, I guess, but in, in one way it's like, yeah, I, it's funny. Do you think okay, that's like, what you need? What do I say? <laughs> I know. Um, do you think it's what you need in order to like make your mental health stay a little bit more stable? I, you know, I don't even know if it's, if it's my mental health, I don't know. See, that's the weird thing is so, okay. So I'll just say it this way. There's there, I have an opportunity at my work. Um, that's a little bit different than what I'm doing now. The, the issue I'm having is I've been with my doctor and, um, my partner, we've been a team for over six years and yeah. we've, we've gotten to the point where, it runs really smoothly with the three of us and yeah, you're loyal you know, and it's easy and yeah, it works well. Right. But I'm also, at, cause again, I'm a go-getter. I do get bored. Um, and I, I'm, I've always looked at different things, trying to figure out what I'm going to do. Um, <clears throat> and this, this possible opportunity, it, it's a little bit more, it is more aligned to what I've been doing with like internal medicine for vet techs. So it's just a matter of figuring out, do I give up the safety of what I've been doing for six years for trying something different and hoping yes. that I like it and it doesn't backfire, you know, and, and it's one of those things, like, why am I so freaked out about it? I think it's just the comfort of being where I've been at, for so long. Well, that and like, you're good at it. I mean, I guess, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you have to be good at it to have been there and stuck around like that long, you know, it's like, I don't. Yeah. I, don't I mean, I would hope so yeah. either that, or I'm just really bad and like, don't want to go anywhere. There's also that. I mean, I hope that's not the case, but I guess that's true too. <laughs> like, I feel like they wouldn't pull you into all the different departments though, all the time, if that were the case. Yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> well, and I, and I do have the benefit that multiple people came up to me about this particular, um, position and said, are you applying for it? <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah. I, I just have to figure out it's what people I guess expect probably, but at the same time, it is what you want. I think you're just really scared of the fact that you have to relearn a new position. Oh yeah. It's yeah. like hitting a restart button, but you're not. Cause like you <laughs> yeah. already do it. I mean, it very much would be a restart. And that's the other thing too, is like right now, like going to work, you know, when, when you've been somewhere for a long time, like you don't, you don't have to worry about all the mental energy to try to figure stuff out. Like you just yeah. know it. And it's, it's, it's just like it's second comforting. nature. It's just, a, right. yeah. yeah. Whereas like, if I were to take on this new position, like every day would be new, like, um, and 
I think after COVID though, that might be more what you need than you realize, you know? Yeah. 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 So, so anyways, yep. That's kind of where I'm at right now. Just trying to weigh everything. And like, I've got, um, I've got another interview that I need to do. And then it's just, you know, the whole negotiation thing, Yeah. <laughs> which I'm like, <laughs> so, cause the thing is like, and, and I know that like, if it's not perfect, like I don't have to go anywhere. I can stay yeah. with the team that I'm with and be totally okay with that. Yeah. So I think that's the other thing is like every other time that I've, I've changed jobs or changed positions, it's because it wasn't exactly what I was, or not exactly, but it wasn't what I wanted where I was at and I needed a change. And I don't know. I mean, yes, there is some of that in my, my job now, but it's not like, it's not pushing me out. Like I, I wouldn't leave my company, you know, it's not that bad kind of thing. So yay. Weighing pros and cons. <laughs> yay. So, but I'll, uh, I'll let you guys know. <laughs> Once I figure out what I'm doing with my life. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and that's the other part of it too, right? Like there's so many things that I'm working on. I'm like, do I want to throw something else new into the mix (laughs) and use my brain power there? So yes. Cause I think ultimately it'll be like something that's just like full circle of what you are doing, you know? Yeah. I mean, probably. Yeah. So, so that's my that's my vague, um, update for the week for you. There you go. Well, I like it. I'm excited for you. I don't care what you say. Mostly. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. But we did have a couple of fantastic shout outs this week and I'm super excited about it. Yeah. Um, the first one is from Stephanie on Facebook. So Stephanie, um, uh, Stephanie sent us a message on Facebook, uh, and, and she's actually, she's one of our, one of our members of our internal medicine for vet techs membership, which is really cool. So she, um, she put on here listening to this last episode and I'm feeling like we're all in this together. So true. Uh, you ladies inspired me to start on my bachelor's of science. Boop, boop. Yeah. <laughs> and it's so hard to do school. Oh my God. I feel you. You have no we idea. And we talked about this last episode, how difficult it is to just go to school. Do it. <laughs> I think it's because we have the ability to do it however we yeah. want. That's probably yeah, the problem. That's part of it right now. Um, and she also said, I also had, uh, I also have the argument about lepto and cats with my radiologist. So Jordan talked about that last week. Um, she says, I love this pod- podcast and think you are doing amazing things. And uh, we sincerely appreciate it. Thank you, Stephanie. And I'll, uh, yeah. I'll send you a sticker too. So yeah, definitely. And then we had another one from Bri- Brianna Edwards. Um, she recommended us same thing on Facebook. So she said, started listening to this podcast this year on my commute to work. I work GP, but I'm fascinated with all things I am, even though some of the cases we end up referring out it was so helpful to hear your client communications about these conditions because it has helped me with two patients now, one Addisonian and another with Cushing's Nice. and better explaining the condition with the owner prior to referral or while we are maintaining 
after referral. I love talking about your tips with my doctor and helping us even in GP. Thank you for sharing your knowledge and experience with us. Like, Aww, that's awesome. I love it. I know it's so great. Right. Well, and that's the thing, like that's that a our really, goal. really good point that Brianna brings up is that, um, just because diseases are quote unquote, I am doesn't mean you're not seeing these in general practice or emergency or, you know, in a lot of places because there's so many of those diseases cross. Well, that I'm, cross I'm really happy that she mentioned about how she, even though they end up referring the cases out, she still takes the time to communicate with clients about yeah. the disease because she learned about it. Yeah. And, and that, it makes and clients feel such... more comfortable and makes them understand that like, yeah, we do kind of know what we're talking about, but these people are going to be better at managing or diagnosing well, your case. And, and there's like, there's, there's stuff that doesn't necessarily deal with that disease specifically, but as a general practice tech and doctor, like it's good to know those things. Like, like I just think specifically like our autoimmune stuff, right. It's really good to know that you shouldn't poke a jugular, (laughs) (laughs) you know? Yes. You're probably not managing that disease, but it's good to know how to treat those patients or, you know, if it's Cushing's or Addisonian, you know, you may not be seeing them for those diseases, but let's say you're, you know, doing a dental cleaning or doing something else that, you know, may require anesthesia or may require drugs because, you know, they have arthritis, whatever it is. But when you understand the disease process and can talk to those clients or, you know, a lot of times, like we talk to clients, but you guys have the years relationship with those clients. Yeah. They trust what you say because you have that rapport with them. And if you can understand what maybe we're putting in our medical records and explain it to the clients, I mean, that's huge. That just helps support, you know, you guys and us and the clients. And I think it just makes for better medicine all over. So I love that. I love that she got some use from us. (laughs) Me too. And then I got another one. I got this one this morning and I was like super excited about it. Um, (laughs) So this one was from Emily Charlotte. She actually messaged me on Instagram, which was really funny because she was like, I'm sorry. Do not be sorry. Like, this is amazing. (laughs) Um, But she said, I just wanted to say a huge thank you to you and Yvonne for your amazing podcast. I found out today that I passed my final veterinary nursing exams and now I'm fully qualified. (gasps) You guys have helped me so much with studying and learning about conditions in a different way than being sat in the classroom. So thank you both. I couldn't have done it without you. I know. (laughs) So congratulations, Emily. I know. Yeah, I know. That's awesome. Congratulations, Emily. Welcome. I think she is going to be what an RVN, I think is what she was saying. Cause she's in the UK. Yeah. Should be an RVN um, because she is in the UK and we chatted a little bit more too. turns out her instructor recommended us. Oh, yeah. So well, I was we, like, thank you, whoever your instructor is. <laughs> I know. I know. So, Cause I told her, I was like, I'm going to shout you out. Okay. So she's like, Oh my God, I'm going to tell my instructor. And I was like, wait, your instructor like Aww. recommended us. Like, that's amazing. That's really cool. So I'm really happy that like people actually are using us to study and like it, it's working. Like, I mean, mind you, I'm pretty sure you all are like smart enough to do this on your own without us, but like, I appreciate that you guys think of us helping you. <laughs> like- <laughs> well, and I think too, like when I was, when I was in school, like I, I, I worked in a clinic, but 
there was a big difference of what before I worked in the clinic to when I worked in clinic, because you're surrounded by that language and, you know, you're putting things together and you're like, oh yeah, I saw that patient that had that disease. And so I think the more ways you can internalize that, that language and conversation and stuff, it just makes it so much easier to relate. Yeah. It's definitely just helpful to like, just hear it a couple different ways. Like you read it in a book, you hear it in a lecture, and then you hear it on a podcast or a show or like on the radio, you know, it's like, you or just you talk to your friends about it or yep, you know, exactly all that. Stuff. Yeah. So, but, um, that's cool. Yay. Yay. <laughs> so we had some really good, super great shout outs this week. Right. Um, so please remember to send us your mailing address so we can send you stickers because I have podcast stickers and we want to give them to you. Yes, please. So this week we are going to be discussing some tick-borne diseases. Um, these notes took me a while just because we're going to talk about four of them. I know. We- I was like, <laughs> why did you go with four different diseases? Good Lord. I mean, I get um, it. But, because the ending, they all mesh together. <laughs> like, <Right. laughs> that's basically why. Um, we are not yet race approved. We are working on it still. We will get that up and in, in the membership as soon as we are able to. Um but you can still go to the internal medicine for vet membership.com site and still use it as self-study in most places. Um, and then, so this week, what we're going to be talking about is four different tick-borne diseases, Ehrlichia or Ehrlichia canis, Lyme or Borrelia burgdorferi. burgdorferi. <laughs> Sounds like something out of Harry Potter. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> it's burgdorferi, not burgdorferi. <laughs> <laughs> yes i know sorry you just um, like got your hermione granger on right there <laughs> yes um anaplasmosis and then rocky mountain spotted fever which is rickettsia rickettsi that one's my favorite that one just to me like even in school i was like really you couldn't have come up with a different name for that technically or is a form of rickettsia as well yeah yeah see they couldn't have come up with a different name well yeah yeah, they did. Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever. <laughs> right? They're like, oh, let's go with that one. <laughs> let's go with four words instead of just two. <laughs> Seriously. They sound the same. All right. So just to kind of run through that, because I think this episode might take a little while just because, like I said, the beginning is very different, but um, the ending's the same. <laughs> so the definition of these diseases, diseases. is- yeah, they're tick diseases, but it's tick-borne bacterial diseases. So it's really like a bacterial infection and not like, um, I don't know how else to explain it. It's not. Well, and I feel too, like this not is a virus. Those, it's Yeah. And I think this is one of those places where clients, um, <laughs> I had my very first one this week and I almost died because I we were talking about tick-borne diseases and flea diseases. And she was like, I live in a gated community. Oh yeah. And I was like, I didn't think people actually said that was the first time in my 20 years of being a technician that someone legit told me that they couldn't possibly have these tick-borne diseases that we were recommending being tested for because they lived in a gated community. And I was like, I, wh- I don't think that fleas and ticks are going to see the gate around your house 
and not bite your dog. I just, I, I, I mean, I guess you never know. There might be one tick that's like a rule follower and it's like, well, guess I'm not allowed in there. There's no rule. It's not like there's like a sign that says no ticks allowed. There might be, you don't know. <laughs> no, I know. There's no sign. <laughs> oh, oh my God. I, could you imagine there's like these little tiny signs just the long like in the little grass, like stay out. No ticks allowed. <sighs> so anyway. Just wanted to share with you that I had that this week. First time ever. Yeah. It's real. First time ever. Yeah, I know I've gotten it before of the um, well, I don't need heartworm prevention because my dog hardly goes outside. We just go outside to potty and come back in. And I'm like, first off, 100 percent have been bitten by mosquitoes while inside my house. Yeah. Second, you still go outside and could get bit bit by mosquitoes. I hate people. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so first up, we're going to talk about Lyme. So it's transmitted by Exodes ticks. We're just going to go with that. Um, but these ticks become <laughs> infected by feeding on like infected hosts, which is usually like rodents and, and things like that. So the ticks will feed on a rodent and then they'll hop onto usually a dog. Also, we're going to be talking mostly about dogs because it's pretty rare in cats, but it can't happen. Um, and I don't do humans, so we're not going to talk about that. Uh, <laughs> right. but it is a zoonotic disease. Just to remember that. It is. It is. Um, it does take about 48 hours of attachment to transmit the disease. And what happens in this time frame is that the bacteria is multiplying within the gut of the tick. You're going to get so squidgy, Yvonne. I'm, I was writing these notes and I was like, no, just talking parasites. I'm just going to keep drinking my sangria spritzer to uh, get through this episode. Yeah, that's fair. Don't worry. I'll, I'll carry this episode. It's not a problem. <laughs> I'm like, squidgy. I'm already itching and squidgy. I know. Anyway, All right. So during this time of after the tick feeds on an infected host, the bacteria is multiplying within the gut of the tick and then travels to the salivary glands. And then in the salivary glands, it's where it gets transmitted to the host or the dog or the human. Um, once in the host, the bacteria then moves from site to site um, from the tick attachment and spreads to infect other tissues. So typically for Lyme specifically, this involves like connective tissues and synovium within the joint space fluid or synovial fluid within the joint space. Um, just because mm. that's how Lyme affects the body is more connective tissue and joint pain and, and things like that. Mm. And then moving on to Ehrlichia um, or Ehrlichia canis, E. canis is the specifically most pathogenic and most common. Um, there's a lot of different forms of Ehrlichia, but we're just going to kind of deal with the Ehrlichia canis right now. Can, can be transmitted by a tick, also can be transmitted by blood transfusions. So that would mm -hmm. be like a delayed um, transfusion reaction. Mm. So donors definitely should be screened for Ehrlichia. We make jokes that obviously my litter of puppies can't donate because <laughs> it's Ehrlichia positive. <laughs> right. Um, but once a tick attaches with Ehrlichia, infection has a one to three day or three week incubation period. So in this time, the Ehrlichia bacteria is spreading to many tissues. Um, and then clinical signs are really going to depend on which tissues are, do become infected. And then Ehrlichia itself has three different phases. So there's the acute phase, the subclinical phase, and the chronic phase. Um, the acute phase has significant clinical signs, um, and usually lasts about two to four weeks in untreated dogs. 
we'll talk mm -hmm. about clinical signs in a little bit, but they're pretty vague. Um, then it can move into the subclinical phase, which can last months to years because it's subclinical. You don't really know that there's a problem going on, but amino competent dogs, um, make clear the infection usually during this phase. So like our younger, healthy labs and things like that can actually clear the infection themselves. Well, and I think it's important for us to remember these are bacterial infections. So, yes. I mean, just like any other bacteria, the immune system can potentially get rid of them, but yes, not guaranteed to get all of it. Exactly. And then our chronic phase can be associated with severe disease. So I've seen, I've seen one really bad case of Ehrlichia and it was in the chronic phase. Obviously it was an older dog. Dog became anemic and thrombocytopenic and needed blood transfusions and just like the typical, like, I think he ended up going into liver failure Hmm. Um, from it and then just with all the blood transfusions and stuff he was the best dog too his name was Rex he was great he was a good boy hmm. he was one of those like dogs that like so dad adopted him like found him like two or three years before covered in ticks hmm. knew he was Ehrlichia positive um, but didn't really like know that it should have been treated. It was one of those things where it was like just miscommunication of Ugh, whether or not the dog had just been exposed to it or if the dog had an active infection mm. um, and then turned into a chronic infection and poor guy didn't do well, but he lived, I mean, we helped him live like an, at least another nine months. Oh, wow. So I know we had um, one of my coworkers adopted a dog and there was just like these vague signs and, um, my doctor was like, let's just t test her for all the tick-borne stuff. And she ended up being Ehrlichia positive and we treated her. And then she just like thrived afterwards. She was yeah. she did really well. I mean, it was probably chronic, but she yeah. was still young that it wasn't like, you know, she'd lived with it for eight years or anything like that. So, yeah, I just started treatment on Pua now that like the puppies are no longer like trying to suckle on her. So I really wonder if she's just going to get even more lively, even though she's already pretty lively. <laughs> oh my God. Crazy. Anyway. So moving on to anaplasmosis, there's actually two forms of anim anaplasmosis that are known. So there's granulocytic anaplasmosis and then infectious, uh, cyclic thrombocytopenia. Yeah. Cyclic thrombocytopenia. Dang. So the granulocytic anaplasmosis is more common but a dog can have both infections at the same time. Hmm. Um, a tick does need to be attached for a minimum of 24 hours just to transmit this bacteria. And then incubation times about one to two weeks while it spreads throughout the body. Crazy. Yeah. And then rickettsia, rickettsii or Rocky Mountain spotted fever. So rickettsia are like a specialized type of bacteria that live only inside other cells, mm, um, which right. I thought was pretty interesting. So they're often transmitted through the bites of infected, infected ticks, um, usually in the United States, like the American dog tick, um, as well as the Rocky Mountain wood tick are considered like the most important like transmission agents for Rocky Mountain spotted fever. Mm -hmm. um, the brown dog tick can also transmit the disease in some parts of the country, like Arizona, and then in other countries as well. Um, Rocky Mountain spotted fever transmission through blood transfusion has been documented in humans though. Um, but it's still something that you should screen for 
when you you have a potential blood donor just in case because it's documented in humans i imagine that it very well could happen in dogs as well mm. um there are at least 23 different types of rickettsial species dang and then the rickettsia genus is actually divided into four different types of groups so typhus spotted fever ehrlichiosis and bartonella um holy crap yeah it's insane yeah so transmission though of Rocky Mountain spotted fever requires about five to 20 hours of a tick attachment. So five to 20 hours of tick attachment. So it's much faster than all the other diseases that need 24 to 48 hours. So unfortunately, oh. these, these ticks need to come off a lot sooner in order to not transmit Rocky Mountain spotted fever to the dog. That's crazy that it takes that long for... Huh. It's just crazy to me how it's like, it's basically the same mode of transmission, right? Like into the salivary glands, but because this bacteria, I don't know. I also don't see why it's, I guess it's not so much different than Ehrlichia itself, but because it's also like an intracellular bacteria, but it's just crazy. Like how fast this one moves. I just, I, um, I don't, I live in California. Uh, we don't have a ton of ticks around here. Yeah, I mean, we have true. some, but like if I go in the mountains and go hiking on the trails, sure. But like where I'm at, like, dude, I have to go camping to see ticks on me. <laughs> so I'm just like, I yeah. don't have that much experience with ticks because that's, I mean, I didn't even know they held on that long. Oh, really? I'm like, yeah, they get what? They get big, fat, juicy, and plump. I mean, anyway. I've seen that, but I guess I just didn't realize it took that long for them to do it. Yeah. I just think mosquitoes, those are like super quick. You know what I mean? Okay. Well, I did get more information hmm. on how Rocky Mountain spotted fever is transmitted. So Crazy. humans and dogs can actually become infected through ingestion of an infected tick. Not that Ew. I think many humans <laughs> eat ticks, but... Oh my god. Uh, okay. Yeah. Or Which by direct right there. <laughs> yeah. Or by direct contamination of a wound by tick feces or secretions. So I mean, technically, if that's the case, a tick doesn't even really have to bite you. I what? mean Okay, you also wrote tick coxial gland. What in the is this like an anal gland for ticks? Uh I don't know. But secretions from the tick coxial gland i was kind of hoping it was something similar to a salivary gland you're gonna make me like this up because now i'm all squidged out yeah but anyway like so you don't need a tick to actually bite you it just needs to like poop in your wound like it's just oh it's Aww. at the end of the bladder you <laughs> so <laughs> it's a urinary <laughs> gland you it's a, okay this is i have to read this coxial gland in certain arthropods one of a pair of excretory organs consisting of an end sac where initial urine is collection collected ew 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 so don't let a tick pee or poop in your wounds Ooh. if you suspect or if you live in an area with rocky mountain spotted fever i um. mean <laughs> Uh, Jordan, I don't like this episode. It's pretty, it gets better. Don't worry. We're going to get better. 
Okay. Um, so rickettsia infects the, like the vascular endothelial cells of our dogs and humans. Um, it initiates a diffuse vasculopathy and then severe perivascular inflammatory response or microvascular thrombosis can occur. So Dang. the vessels and veins and vasculature hate this disease. <laughs> yeah. Which is also one of the reasons why we test specifically for like IMHA and ITP dogs yes. um, for tick-borne disease because it can, you can definitely get that autoimmune response as a secondary to these diseases because the body's yeah. like, what the heck is going on? You know? Yeah. And then because like typically like the first like response to injury of endothelial cells, it, it like promotes pro-inflammatory and pro-thrombotic state. So basically it's saying, yes, like it, mm. bring all the infl inflammatory cells here and platelets and clotting factors. And then what happens in these guys is microvascular thrombosis and endothelial injury causes like oxidative stress, which leads then to cell death. And then like at some point too, platelet hemostasis is further affected by like platelet destruction. So it essentially sounds like it leads to IMTP, which again, like you said, is why we need to be testing the, all yeah. of our immune mediated patients for tick-borne diseases. Right. Or it's crazy. Just, or treat for them, assuming they have it because some people, yeah, yeah. you know, don't, don't afford well, it. But... And we'll talk about it a little bit more too. Cause once the antibiotics are started, it's really hard to test for things yeah. like tick-borne diseases. So when it's in doubt, just ideal, like gold standard is test for it then start treating for it. Exactly. But if like your client just can't afford it, just treat for it. The treatment's much less expensive <laughs> compared yeah. to like the testing. So dude, I just bought 150 tablets of the specific antibiotic for Pua for 12 bucks. So because <laughs> <laughs> <Yes. laughs> she needs two twice a day. Aww. Um, so like species, breed, age, predisposition, predispositions, any breed or any age really can be affected just because these are tick-borne diseases. It depends on the lifestyle of the dog. If it's a hunting dog, they're going to be more predisposed than a little Maltese who hardly goes outside. Um, gated community gated community. yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> However, I did find it interesting that Ehrlichia tends to affect young German shepherds worse like disease wise, huh. like they become more symptomatic. Hmm. And then most dogs are asymptomatic for Lyme disease. Hmm. Sometimes they can show signs of polyarthritis, things like, um, just what I would call like non-specific inflammatory disease. So fever, anorexia, lethargy for Lyme disease specifically, they can have like shifting leg lameness or joint swelling, and then can actually be associated with uh, nephropathy, which Goldens and Labradors are predisposed to the Lyme nephropathy. And that actually has a poor prognosis too, um, just because if we're obviously infecting the kidneys and just kind of running rap rampant through the kidneys, we're going to have a, a larger problem. Um, Ehrlichia has very non-specific inflammatory disease clinical signs as well. So things like, again, lethargy, anorexia, fever, enlarged lymph nodes. Um, however, severe disease of Ehrlichiosis can progress to like ecchymosis, neurologic abnormalities, edema, and muscle pain. And then 
Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever, same thing, inflammatory disease, so lethargy, anorexia, fever, and large lymph nodes. Thrombocytopenia is very common for a Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever, and they can actually get focal like retinal hemorrhage that can be seen usually in the early course of the disease. It could go away, so that's where to the that disease itself might get missed. That is kind of crazy, actually, the hemorrhage. Yeah, I've seen it once before, once. Well, I've seen and uveitis is super common for yeah. Rocky Mountain spot, spotted huh. fever, just because it's a vasculitis, basically, you know. So it's like all the vasculature is just getting pissed off. Yeah, that um, totally makes sense. Crazy. Yeah, and then anaplasmosis. So many dogs are exposed to the granulocytic uh, anaplasmosis. They don't tend to get obvious signs of the condition. So again, signs might be vague, include lethargy, decreased appetite, fever. Um, some dogs can become lame just because their joints are painful. Preach dogs, preach. I wonder if I've ever been tested for anaplasmosis. Maybe I'd be dead by now. I've literally- You just need your tick-borne titers. It's fine. I really don't think I've ever been tested for tick-borne diseases. For all the joint pain I've ever had. And I've had a tick on me before. And I don't think that they've, but- Yeah, I think that's a, I think you should bring it up with your, your vet. You should bring it up with your vet. My boss and I talk about it frequently and he's like, have they ever tested you for like chronic Lyme disease? I was like, no. Um, anyway, back to anaplasmosis. <laughs> so less common signs though can include vomiting, diarrhea, coughing, difficulty breathing. Um, Cause again, just inflammatory response. And then many dogs with the infectious uh, thrombocytopenia can have only mild clinical disease. And same thing, the signs include decreased appetite, lethargy, fever, and then usually bruising on the gums and stomach, nosebleeds, weight loss. So again, tick testing, we tend to do if we're seeing any sort of bruising or ecchymosis or um, just epistaxis from the nose, we usually run some sort of tick testing. Well, and I think it's important too, like when we're trying to figure out, you know, is, uh, is this stuff due to an autoimmune disease or is it due secondary to this like disease? If we start suppressing the immune system without treating for an infectious disease, they can actually get much worse. So that's part of the reason why we test for these things. Um, so differential diagnosis, I put all tick diseases on here. Cause it's like, if you suspect one, you should probably suspect all, uh, <laughs> Platelet disorders or coagulopathies like von Willebrand's disease um, or toxins to rat poison, IMPA, which is immune-mediated polyarthritis, IMTP, which is immune-mediated thrombocytopenia, IMHA, immune-mediated hemolytic anemia. And then, of course, I threw cancer down at the bottom because I was like, why not? Because <laughs> cancer can do whatever it wants. Cancer can do whatever it wants. And I learned some fun facts today. Well, not really fun facts. I should have known it. But um, I was studying up the like movement of lymph fluid through the body or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, and basically because the spleen, the tonsils and the lymph nodes are all like lymph organs. Mm -hmm. Um, when lymph runs through there, it initiates like a, it can, if there's something abnormal within the, the fluid, like a disease or a bacteria, um, it'll cause those organs to swell which is why we see like splenomegaly and stuff like that, or like enlarged lymph nodes for infection mm -hmm. is because it's those areas that are trying to do their job of attacking and killing and just bringing in all those lymphocytes to kill and destroy. Makes sense. So diagnostics are pretty standard. 
First thing we're going to run is the CBC and some of the changes that we can see are thrombocytopenia or low platelet numbers, mild anemia, we can see a leukopenia or leukocytosis, so that's like a, a low white count or high white count, or we can see a pancytopenia, which is low everything. Um, our biochemistry panel is really going to depend on which area is being affected. Um, due to the bacteria. So we can see azotemia, we can see elevated liver enzymes, we can see hypoalbuminemia, we can see bilirubinemia, um, especially if there's like bleeding or things like that occurring, or if there's destruction of platelets or red blood cells from these diseases. Um, imaging, it's not really going to be used for diagnosis, but it's going to be used to help rule out like other differentials, like looking for a splenic mass that might be bleeding. Um, however, joint rads can be helpful, but they're not going to be fully diagnostic if a patient's showing joint pain. Um, blood smears, man, if you guys don't do a lot of blood smears, start practicing because they can be very, very informative. Um, both ehrlichia and anaplasmosis can be seen on peripheral blood smears or buffy coat smears. Um, usually ehrlichia morulae will present in low numbers during the initial phase. So that does make it a little kind of, a little hard to actually diagnose um, just based off of peripheral blood smears, but you can see it attached to some, some white blood cells. Same with um, anaplasmosis. But obtaining a, I learned uh, that obtaining a blood sample from the peripheral capillary bed, like within like the ear margin can actually increase your likelihood of finding the Ehrlichia morulae, which I thought was pretty cool because um, I think the next dog that I, we might suspect Ehrlichia on, or I should just do it on Pua now that I think about it. Um, but I just started her on antibiotics, so I don't think I can. Wow. That's crazy. Huh? So serology and PCR are really going to be what we're going to kind of want to look for to truly diagnosis. Um, so all, um, Ehrlichia, Lyme disease, anaplasmosis, and Rocky Mountain spotted fever, they, we can all, we can detect all of those with serology IFA, which is, which is immunofluorescent antibody titers. Um, for Rocky Mountain spotted fever, it's actually gold standard in diagnosing that, but for everything else, it's not a <laughs> gold standard right. um, because it's just looking for the antibody to the bacteria. It's not definitive. You can't really distinguish between infection versus exposure. Um, versus mm. our PCR testing. Um, because that, and this is important to remember for vaccination. Yes, right. Exactly. So that's, that's if they've gotten right. the Lyme vaccine, don't mm -hmm. do serology. Cause it's just going to tell you that it's positive for Lyme. Right. Um, PCR though, positive results for Ehrlichia. So it can detect the organism specific DNA within the sample. Um, it is gold standard for diagnosing Ehrlichia, Lyme, and anaplasmosis, but um, typically becomes negative very rapidly after starting antibiotics. And then any positive test for Lyme, whether you do serology or PCR is considered definitive. But again, I think if you've had the Lyme vaccine, I don't know if I agree with that statement. <laughs> I would say if it's, if it's PCR positive, that's definitive for Lyme. Yeah. Um, yes. yeah. Um, 
treatment really is going to depend on like the severity of the case when you get it. So say like a severe Rocky Mountain spotted fever that we're really going to shoot for therapeutic. So includes like mm. appropriate antibiotic therapy and supportive care, such as like IV fluids. We want to prevent organ dysfunction in all of these patients. We want to prevent it from spreading to the kidneys or the liver, especially like um, I mean, it's essentially going to be treated a lot like leptospirosis is because again, it's a bacteria. Mm. Um, and then we can start treatments such as corticosteroids, anticoagulants, antioxidants, just to kind of help protect everything. Anticoagulants, um, we literally never use, but I get the purpose behind yeah, it, especially in Rocky Mountain spotted fever. Because of the microthrombosis. Yeah, we don't use it either. I, I feel like feel like we don't always use, um, anticoagulants as much as we probably quote unquote should. Yes. I, I think part of it too, is like, you just want to make sure you're not overusing them. Yes. So I get it. Yeah. Um, but the key for all of these cases is really just going to be early antibiotic administration. Um, especially in our Rocky mountain spotted fever, it could prevent the development of severe thrombosis and just dermal lesions. Um, and just really drastically improve the outcome. Did you talk about dermal lesions? No, but I think, no. Hmm. I don't know why it's not really part of the clinical signs other than the fact that maybe just seeing obvious like vasculitis, like mm. in cellulitis. That makes sense. For, I was like, what dermal lesions are we seeing with Rocky Mountain spotted fever? Oh my God. <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing that that's going to be severe. Plus I'm thinking too, yeah. that if you have a hospitalized patient, it's probably going to be, they're probably going to be sensitive to things like tape and pressure sores and stuff like that. Yeah. As I say, the de- decubital ulcers and stuff. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. Crazy. Um, so a lot of the antibiotics that really work well for all four of these diseases include like um, our tetracyclines and our derivative doxycycline, which is what we use mostly. That's what mm-hmm. I just started PUA on was doxycycline. Um, sometimes certain fluoroquinolones can help. And then sometimes chlorinfenicol, chlorinfenicol can help. Um, however, doxycycline has been proven that it works really well for all four of these diseases and should be given for a minimum of four weeks. Yeah. I think, I think we do six weeks if we didn't test anything. Um, if we did test and everything comes back negative, a lot of times we just do two weeks and that's it. Yeah. Or, or sometimes we stop once we get the results back because it's about two weeks. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. It says like two to four weeks, but I just figured minimum should be about four weeks, but, um, certain client communication though, is to really let clients know that even some dogs that have been treated will still remain PCR positive. Um, but don't typically have a recurrence of clinical signs. However, relapse sometimes can occur even after antibiotic administration for some of these patients. So yeah. Cause I mean, it's a again, bacteria and yeah, it's a bacteria. Yeah. And especially if it's like one that goes in the synovial fluid, your antibiotics don't penetrate yep. synovial fluid very well. So yeah. So are things like Lyme disease and Rocky mountain spotted fever really can yeah. hide away until, <laughs> so that's just something really important with client communication. Also, we want to prevent reinfection as well. Um, mm-hmm. so proper flea and tick preventative. Cause again, most of our tick prevention does kill the ticks within the time frame. However, Rocky mountain spotted fever is really one of those ones that I feel like even with tick prevention, cause they still have to bite, like you're just really at a risk for it. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard because if you live in an area with a lot of ticks, I mean, it's not a bad idea to just test them if there's something funky going on. Right. Because yeah, you can't, we, we, you could definitely have it secondary to something. So yeah. Or if a dog's it. ever had a blood transfusion. That's true. Oh, that would suck. Yeah. And, and I we think, don't really know much about the donors. Like mind you, all yeah. my donors are screened, but. Well, not only that, but I mean, if, if some of this can get transmitted through poop and pee and an open wound, <laughs> like, ew, um, you know, it, it's, there's just, it's, so, and that's something too, to talk to clients about is that there are multiple ways that patients can get these diseases, not just if, you know, a tick bites them, like there's other ways to get it. And, you know, it's trying to tell your clients also to not eat ticks. Right. And dogs are gross. Dogs eat bugs. So I wouldn't be surprised if they ate one. Oh, dude, um, definitely. My, I'm certain. I think if there were actual dogs in my, I mean, dogs, if there were actual ticks in my backyard, the dogs would eat them because they eat beetles and stuff. Ugh. Ew. June bugs. Ugh. Dogs are gross. So anyways, <laughs> oh, you don't, like, you don't want to talk multiple, about that. There's multiple ways for an animal to get them. And not only that, but if they ever rescued an animal, like you have no idea what the animal's history was prior to you getting them. They could easily have had one tick and then have a chronic infection that you never know about. So it's not a bad idea to test for it and or just treat for it and, and just, you know, yeah. I wonder why human medicine really doesn't test for it more frequently. Uh, because they need sh- shows like house and, um, to tell them to test for it. That's true. Or <laughs> vet text to go in and be like, I want to be tested for Lyme disease. And they're like, no, oh, that's stupid. <laughs> it's like when I had to explain to my doctor how to test me for lepto. Uh, I, I don't, I don't want to talk about the ridiculousness of human healthcare. You're right. This is why if there's a zombie apocalypse, you should get a veterinarian and a veterinary and a veterinary technician instead Definitely. of a human doctor. Cause they're not going to be able to do anything. Correct. They're going to be like, Ooh, not my area expertise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You need, a, you need a respiratory therapist. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas like with us, we're like, oh, it's trying to bite us. We know how to handle it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Fear free. We won't get bit by zombies. We know how to wrangle. That's true. We do. Yeah. Get a towel and just like hold it around their neck. and Right. Exactly. A zombie burrito. A zombie burrito. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Uh, Another thing somebody should draw from our podcast. Yes. We really just... We just need a whole comic book one day for like one of our oh. episodes. Like, that'd be oh cool. my god, the zombie burrito! Oh my god, we should totally make one. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh my god, this is amazing. Anyway, <sighs> all right, well, <laughs> it's the tip of the week. I'm gonna say tip of the week for this week is remember to get your samples prior to antibiotic administration. That's a good one. 
Um, it's especially if you're working an emergency and it's going to transfer into internal medicine, like really, if you have blood samples prior to antibiotics, um, or urine as well, just save it, um, in case the doctor wants to send it out. Um, because there's been so many times that we're like, Oh, well, they got antibiotics overnight. We can't, we can't test for it. We got to try something different. Um, so, you know, just save the samples for potential testing. Um, yeah. that's, that's my tip of the week. <laughs> and now for the question of the week. I think my question of the week this week is going to be, have you ever, as a human, even though I don't do humans, have you ever tested positive for Ehrlichia Lyme or anaplasmosis or Rocky Mountain spotted fever? Um, just because I'm curious now if I should go test myself. <laughs> uh, like really this whole time I don't have lupus and I've just had Lyme disease. I mean, it's possible you have a tick-borne disease that's causing your autoimmune system to your autoimmune system, your autoimmune system to flare up your immune yeah. system to flare. It's messing I mean, with my joints really bad. It's, it's super possible. It is super possible. You have 5 you know million dogs. I've seen. Yeah. But this all happened before <laughs> all the dogs. Leave my dogs out of this, Yvonne. <laughs> Never. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, I think that wraps up this week's episode. It was, I, I kind of ran through it, but like I said, it very easily could have gotten long quick. Oh, yeah. Uh, so. Yeah. Yeah. And this is just four. <laughs> like there's so many other diseases that, that can be transmitted by ticks and fleas and stuff. So. Yeah. Um, these are just the four that we'll talk about today. So, yeah, let us know what what uh, what experiences you guys have. Well, everybody have a wonderful week. Uh, hopefully, everybody's recouping from Fourth of July, and um, we'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you like what you heard, we'd love for you to share with someone you think might enjoy the podcast and make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Want to give us a boost? Please leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher and we'll be sure to say thank you. Find out everything about us at internalmedicineforvettechs.com. Talk to you next week. Bye. Thank you.